here's what I think is the difference is I think at the beginning of your run, you wake up and you've got this kind of fuzzy head full of all of these issues. What's happening here? What's happening there? Where do I attack this? How do I attack this? What's the important point of, of this? And then in the middle of the run or the end of the run, the difference is that you've gone from being the passive ruminator of uh, various issues to the can-do person. And I think your body registers you as moving from passive to effective. And then I think that travels up into your brain. And I think your brain chemistry changes, your brain action changes. And so that you're looking at the same set of questions, but you're a different person, or you're looking at them with a different brain. That's what I think happened. That's William Pullen, and I'm Brian Falchuk. Hey, day doers, welcome to another episode of the Do a Day podcast. I have a psychotherapist on. I've had a few different kinds of therapists, uh, social workers, licensed professional counselors, all kinds of different folks. William is, uh, he's a therapist who, his method speaks so much to my heart, and it's because his method ties in running, or more broadly, movement. You know, maybe you're you're not into running or it's difficult for you or you have some sort of physical limitation, but his point is about movement. And there's something about running specifically that really amps things up. There's a rhythmicness. There's a kind of a zoning out. There's an ability to focus in, in your mind. And he's all about how you capture that, how you take movement and capture what it can do for your mind to work through the tough things that you need to work through. He's based in London. You'll hear from his accent. Uh, so I mentioned he's a psychotherapist. He's also an author. He's an app developer, and he's a founder of this process, this approach to therapy called dynamic running therapy. And that's, you know, we talk about where that came from, what it's all about. His focus is to spread the message that is movement for the mind, for the body, for the soul. Uh, he's a private practice in London, and he does talks on mindfulness and mental health all over the place. And, um, He's really interesting, and the way that he came into this was through his own struggles and through his own discovery that when he would go for a run, he'd seem to be able to work through the things that were stuck. So really, really interesting. Um, and it was born of a relationship problem or the, the aftermath of a failed relationship. Uh, and so I think it's really timely to bring this one up to, to put this episode out as I gear up to launch my next book which is all about relationship dysfunction. So if you haven't signed up for my updates yet, make sure you go to brianfeltruck.com and sign up for those updates so you can find out about the 50, 75, 100, when it's coming out, how you can get it, all of that. Book number two, really big deal for me. And this one, I could see really pairing these two together because I give you some things to think about and William gives you the process to allow your brain to think through these things. So super interesting, super timely. Uh, enjoy it. Great conversation with William Pullen. William Pullen, thank you so much for joining me today. Brian, a pleasure. Um, I I have to say your work, it, it's, uh, it's a much more professional way to talk about what I always tell people when I talk about 
my experience running. I always say like, it's my Zen. It's my, my chance to really deeply meditate and work through things. And then you have this whole much more structured approach with dynamic running therapy. That is exactly, um, that's what I think running can do for so many people and not just, you know, full on running, but forward movement outside, if you want to call it that. Um, so I, I, I definitely was excited by what you're working on right now and wanted to help share that message with people. So I'm excited to have you here. Right. What, um, maybe you can give people a quick sense of who you are and what you're doing with this. Okay. So I'm, uh, 51-year-old London-based psychotherapist and author, app developer. And uh, about 11 years ago, I was having a sort of bad time, well, really bad time in my life, a bit of a meltdown, and I took up psychotherapy and running. I knew running would be good to, to get me outside and stop isolating and healthy air, and, and I could socialize with my friend with whom I'd run, and it would give me something to, to focus on other than myself. And uh, I did the two in tandem. I then decided to train as a therapist. And I had noticed how effective the, the running was in, in helping me share what was going on in my life with my friend and helping me feel motivated. And so I thought, can I put these two things together, everything I'm learning in psychotherapy with what I've learned about running? And over the next few years, I sort of developed this this thing I call dynamic running therapy. And then I wrote a book about it. And here I am on the phone with you. Yeah. And, and the book is, it's not just your story. It's more of a workbook, isn't it? So it's, it's something people can take and take forward with action. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it's called running with mindfulness and, um, it, it has all sorts of stuff in there. It's got mindful walking and mindful running, running with your kids, um, and just generally sort of about running. But the bit I think is, is I'm I'm particularly proud of because I think there are barriers to entry for for, for therapy for a lot of people, opportunity, cost, etc. Uh, the book has specific chapters, running programs for various mental health conditions, uh, including you know some of the big ones, uh, depression, anxiety, anger, relationship issues, etc. And so. It takes people on a very particular journey, asking questions for them to run and explore with and journal with to do with those particular conditions. And so I want to go back to your your 11-year-ago experience. What was yeah. going on? What, what was, if you don't mind sharing, what was the, uh, the very difficult time that you were experiencing? Well, it, it came out of a, a relationship breakdown, you know, when I think many of your listeners will recognize this when you when you're in a relationship and you care for somebody very much but you're struggling very much and then you try to do everything you can and you work harder and harder and harder and until you know you're really out on a limb and in some respects there's not much of you left as you've tried to accommodate or you've tried so hard to work out what you need to learn or whatever it may be in any event Often what happens, I think, and I hear this from my clients, is when you finally reach the end of the tether, if you've held on too long, uh, it can be really quite devastating because you're, you're at your weakest. By that point, the relationship's really worn you down, and you're at your weakest and most compromised when you suddenly find yourself bereft. And I think that was, that was the majority of my, uh, of my situation. I'd really wanted to make a go of this, but um, 
but the person had so many differences from me and in the end we couldn't really reconcile those yeah so a relationship ends that leaves you in this state what what triggered you to take the action because you it sounds like you had a bit of realization to say i need to do something you were more shut in you know what what led you to have that desire to do better well i would say desperation <laughs> you know it's a powerful thing uh, isn't it yeah it really is you know uh yeah i was 40 when it happened i guess i i guess you're old enough and ugly enough to know after a period of time that if you don't take care this nobody else is going to mm. and i got to that place and i like to think i've always had enough of a, a brain on me uh not to get too not to allow myself to go down too far by that i mean whatever i've done in my life i've i've managed to uh to find ways of of managing and in this situation although i was in a terrible state and i was at home and i was sort of strangely sort of terrified and 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 definitely depressed no question of that I did know nonetheless that I and I and I wasn't in mental health at that time. I was in television. I did recognize enough of the symptoms to know that it was depression. I knew that depression came with various symptoms. I knew that I was acting those out and I knew that exercise would help. I knew that the other go to is psychotherapy. And so in the end, when I became desperate enough, when I realized that I really needed to make a change, uh, I reached out and uh, I was lucky enough to find a friend whose friend's husband was a psychotherapist. And I was lucky enough to find a friend who wanted to run with me, mm. a guy I'd been playing a lot of poker with. Uh, so you can imagine he was, <laughs> he was no fitter than I was. Well, that works well. Sometimes yeah. it's good to have someone push you, but sometimes it's good to be on the same page. No, exactly. And, and actually, there was another advantage um, because uh, it turns out that he was going through a, a difficult time in his life as well. His yeah. marriage was coming to an end. And so we both had a lot to share and talk about. And that's, that was part of my, both the, the source of my relief, but also the, uh, the area in which I was lucky enough to, to learn so much because I noticed how he and I running together, how it opened, you know, we'd already had this relationship, this friendship before, Yeah. but suddenly Suddenly, because we were running, it was more intimate. We were sharing stuff in a way and in a depth that we hadn't before. You yeah. know, often, you know what it's like to be a man. You can be a little bit, uh, oh, yes, you know, I've, things aren't so great when you know, you've just had your legs shot off or something. Men, men don't like to sort of get into it too much. Um, but there was something about the running that helped us, helped you just feel okay about naming things just for what they were. I think a big part of it's, of course, that you're not, unlike regular therapy or drink with a friend, you're not facing off to each other. That facing off thing, I think, is can be bad news uh, when it comes to intimacy. Yeah, you're side by side. I never really thought about that. You're equals in it instead of, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, adversarial might be the wrong word for it, but yeah, you're squared off against each other, whether it's friendly or not. I think it is somewhat advers adversarial. You know, we are... We're, you know, we're, we're, we're tribal creatures at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I do, I, I think facing off, it has enough 
even as friends, even when you're there, um, some part of your nervous system is telling you, you know, be aware of how you look, be aware of mm. how the other person's responding, you know, take in this information, crunch this data so that you can uh, know your position in the tribe now. Yeah. Uh, there's no, yeah. So I think it's quite different. Is there anything to the rhythmic nature of the footsteps that ties into this? God, it's interesting you say that. Um, yeah, I think there really is. I think it's a, uh, what was the word that I thought that I'd coined um, in my arrogance, which uh, <laughs> met- metronomic. Yeah. I th- yeah, I thought that was my word. It turns out it's been around for an awfully long time. Um, We've rediscovered yeah. it. I've rediscovered it. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there's that regular tick tock, tick step, 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 step. The same thing that uh, helps you in the mindful running or mindful walking, I think also helps you in in the sharing, the talking. Yeah. It takes, the way I see it is it both helps you to engage because there's this regular, uh, um, you know, almost uh, hallucinogenic. reminder, sense reminder, keeping you engaged. And then on another level, I think that it also um, sort of uh, um, absorbs that extra 10% of our consciousness that's that's sort of surplus, that often has, like when we're talking, we'll be watching ourselves talk. Well, when you're running, that 10% that would be watching yourself talking is actually now concentrating on not tripping over that branch. So you can just be with the part of you that's talking. That that's really brilliant. I hadn't I've never really thought about that. It's you've got you need to stay conscious of your surroundings and yeah, figuring out how not to step in a hole or something. Mm. Um and using your energy, the the excess energy on that what you've got left can only really go to the content. Yeah. Instead of the surroundings and and maybe some of the things that we get tripped up on otherwise. Yeah. So Talk to me a bit more about dynamic running therapy and what what exactly is it and how does one bring it into their life? Okay, so there's the dynamic running therapy, which is done by me as a therapist one-on-one with my clients. And then there's the kind that is in the book for people to do either by themselves or with a friend as I did all those years ago. Which one would you like to know about? Well, let, let's go into what some you know if someone were to pick up your book cuz this would be how right. they would be able to to implement this in their life on their own or with okay, you know with so, your written guidance yeah yeah so like uh in my practice with my clients there i recommend a completely optional 5 to 10 minute what i call grounding process at the beginning of the session um with my sessions, they're 50 minutes long. With the people who read my books, I just say, you know, run for as long or walk for as long as you want to. Um, there's no need to, uh, to decide how long or short it needs to be. The grounding process is a four-step process, which is a sort of mindful thing where you sit down and you take in what's happening in your body, what's happening around you, smells, sounds, um, what you can see, etc., and uh, and then you do uh, a scan of how you're feeling, and then you do finally ask yourself what you want out of the session, and so that gives you uh, an opportunity just to sort of. Um, I think all too often we're not very focused when we begin a run or when we begin 
a process of of, uh, of considering what's happening in our lives. So mm. this gives you a chance just to sort of focus, get get that focused mind in place. As I said, totally optional. After that, what you're doing, let's say that you've picked up the book and you're following the depression program. You'll find 20 questions in there, um, which you can run as many times as you like, and lots of other stuff in there talking about what is depression, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with feelings, your relationship with fear, your relationship with expectations, um, how rigid thinking uh, may influence your world. There's, there's a lot of detail in there, but essentially the, the program, after all of that, the program is really about running with these questions. And I hope at the end of those questions, people have a much better sense of who they are, because when... Um, I must make this a question for you, but have you ever discovered that when you, let's say you wake up in the morning, you're going for a run, because I know you're a runner, you go for a run and there's something troubling you and you find that miraculously at the end of that run, you now have a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. It's crazy how that happens. In a moment, I'm going to ask you how you think that happens or why you think that happens. But this is sort of what I'm trying to leverage uh, in the DRT process because it's such a powerful process. I don't think anybody quite knows how it works. But in any event, what I ask my clients to do is run with these questions, my readers, run with this question of the day and see what pops up for you. It's not even as though you need to deeply delve into it and and sort of, it will come to you if you run with it. There's something about the running that brings stuff up. Um, what do you think it's about? How do you what? How do you think what happens there? Well, I I think what you just said it brings stuff up. That's that's so true. And for me, um, I'm thinking back to three years ago, just over three years ago, when I was marathon training, my long runs especially, because they didn't have any. Um, there was there was no pacing or you know I need to now start sprinting or do this interval or anything it was just slow steady rhythmic duration and I tended to start out uh, between four and five a.m. pre dawn and you know you run for a couple of hours you're there through or or more unfortunately um, I shouldn't say that it was a wonderful experience but it was a long time. Um, yeah. You know, you're there through the sun rising. The world hasn't really come out yet, so there's really tranquil. Um, it, it's very much just you and nature and nothing else. Uh, you know, of course, unless you're you're running with a friend. Um, but I found, you know, if I was struggling during the day to think of another blog post or article to write, and while I would be on those those long runs, especially in the first half of them the ideas would just all of a sudden start flooding to me, usually after about 20 minutes. So, I, I mean, I find that with running too, that the first 20 to 25 minutes are the least comfortable or I'm just sort of getting fully warmed up and getting you know my energy production in a good place and my body moving. And then once I'm in that zone, I could just keep running and the ideas just flow. Now, the problem for me on the long runs was then you go three, four hours, and you're so exhausted, you may not remember what you came up with in the first two mm-hmm. hours, but that's a different problem. But it it is, I've, I mean, that's why I asked you about the rhythmic, metronomic, to use your word, um, so I'll give you credit for it, the metronomic Thanks. nature of it. it. It was almost like it um, hypnotizes, probably not the right word, but it sort of got my mind into a state where it's just the beats. And 
then that just sort of drowned everything else out and my mind could create freely. I, I'm yeah. not, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. I wasn't necessarily aware of like a light switch flicking on that now I can think freely, but it just happened. And it was a, it was a really beautiful thing. I mean, I can, I can think of specific places where I was, where great ideas hit me. And that just doesn't happen in a, a normal course of a day with, you know, sitting down to write something. That's just not going right. to work that way. Have you tried running back to these places over and over again? It's magic. magic oh, absolutely. Spots. Yeah. I mean, I had similar routes during the marathon training and that's why my long runs were on Fridays and Fridays yeah. were unbelievably productive days. As long as I could remember what I came up with, I was good. So here's my personal theory. I think we live in a in an age uh, with a crisis of disembodiment. You know, I think people, in all sorts of ways, that takes place, but mostly because people aren't moving enough and aren't being plural enough in their lives, and mostly because they're spending too much time on the internet, mm-hmm. one way or another. That leads to sort of disembodiment, and it means that I think we we end up with sort of neurotic, fractured thinking. And uh, while we're doing, we're less about what we can do with our hands in the real world, while there's even more to consider than ever before, because there's so many ideas coming at us, so much data coming at us, whether it's news or social media or passwords or whatever it may be. So it's, it's a sort of double-edged sword. And I think, yeah, I think, Dis- disembodiment is a major problem. Here's what I think is the difference. Is I think at the beginning of your run, you wake up or whatever point in the day it is, and you've got this kind of fuzzy head full of all of these issues. What's happening here? What's happening there? Where do I attack this? How do I attack this? What's the important point of, of this? And then at the in the middle of the run or the end of the run, the difference is that you've gone from being the passive ruminator of of various issues to the can-do person. And I think your body registers you as moving from passive to effective. And then I think that travels up into your brain. And I think your brain chemistry changes, your brain action changes. And so that you're looking at the same set of questions, but you're a different person, or you're looking at them with a different brain. That's what I think happens. Mm. So sort of neurochemical change in the body. Yes. And I, but even also a sense memory, I think in, 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 in the body, which, which is where your body wants you to run. It wants you to, historically, you would have various problems, but, but uh, what your body knew was that, or, or what was good for your longevity is to do something about it, right? That's why mm-hmm. depression, depression, if you listen to some people, they'll say, well, depression is good because it slows you down and gives you a chance to think about what's going on in your life. And it forces you to consider and lets you know that something needs to change. Um, on the other hand, depression is maybe thought of uh, as, as, uh, as quite rightly uncomfortable, because if you were a caveman and you sat around feeling depressed, you'd soon find that somebody would come over and hit you on the head yeah. and take your take your wife, take your food, take your pelts. So, um, doing is doing and being the person that does uh, 
um, I think is always good when it comes to problem solving. Yeah, I, I think that's well put. Um, I would imagine, I, I, I think I can guess the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. I'm looking at a treadmill. Yeah. What's your take on, because it, is it just the physical movement or is it the bigger picture? So is it, does a treadmill count? Yes, a treadmill counts. Uh, I, I'm not sure that if, if we take 100 persons and, and, and tested their experiences, I think you would find a small majority uh, of them would have a better experience outside. Mm. Um, but there are plenty of people for whom a treadmill would be just fine. Yeah. Interesting. That is not where I thought you were going to, that's not where I thought you'd come down on the question. I, I know for myself, I, I don't seem to feel as much inspiration when I'm on the treadmill, but to be fair, I also don't go as long because I, I get bored on it. So I'm more likely to, you know, throw in the towel before I get to that state where the, the thoughts start flowing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, okay, if I'm absolutely honest, I think <laughs> I probably agree with you. I'm just trying to encourage people for whom the only thing they've got, because they're in the middle of the Bronx, yeah, is a yeah. treadmill or something. Well, something's think, better yeah, than the, nothing, absolutely. Yeah, something's better than nothing. Uh, but, um, you know, if you're trying to get open, clear thinking, go over into an open, clear space, uh, not into a busy, small, enclosed noisy gym uh, where there's so much distraction, not least of all possibly a mirror right in front of you um, or a screen on your treadmill showing a bunch of data that have nothing to do with. And of course, a sense of not really getting anywhere, even though you're really working hard at it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which actually could be sort of traumatizing in the sense that, you know, you may not actually, for some people, they may not actually feel a sense of progress. Yeah. One, of course, in, in many gyms now, their treadmills, the newer treadmills have TV screens on them. Yeah. People put an iPad down or a magazine or something else that it's taking your consciousness into something else rather than bringing it back on yourself and your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'd say is I think so much of, um, of, of, of the way that we get stuck in the world is through repetition, rigidity, um, and uh, and and a lack of spontaneity in our lives. And if if we are stuck, um, it's best to get out and get moving rather than stay in and get moving. I think you know we've got to loosen up, not just go running across a a, 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 a park or something, but also try other things. Anything that's going to um, change who you are. Because if yeah, I, you know. Get, go into a, uh, a, a African drumming group, a mm. choir, uh, learn pottery, work in a soup kitchen. It, just try something that makes you feel. Join badminton, doubles tennis. Uh, uh, these are all things that have been shown to be uh, very good for the mood. Um, yeah. Try any of these things. Challenge yourself. Get stuck into the world. The antidote to feeling powerless and stuck is to uh, be powerful and do something. Uh, and at first it may not seem obvious what that thing is, um, and, and you can't know. So just do lots of different things. Just keep on trying until you find something, because you will find something in the end. That is brilliant advice. Um, what about the, the idea of being with other people? 
in these in these moments in the you know in running where you're asking yourself these questions because that that was a piece of your process you're running with your friend is that is that something you wouldn't recommend for someone who's trying to go through this process no i would thoroughly recommend it it, de it depends what your story is uh, it depends whether you've got the right person it depends whether it's important for you that they're sharing something as well for me that was important because I didn't want to feel like I was a burden on them. Yeah. It made me feel more comfortable about sharing my own stuff. Uh, so I think you, you'd want to find that, but not everybody minds about that. Some people are quite, uh, are quite fair. If there's a, you know, one person's talking about a speeding ticket and the other one's talking about losing their husband. It, it, uh, some people don't mind. So whatever works for you is what I'd say. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, it's a very open openness that you have towards it. There's no, I mean, to your point on rigidity a moment ago, it's not rigid. There's no fixed answer to it. Is it a, yeah. is it sort of a spectrum where something is better than nothing and we can work towards more? It's, it's, there's that. And then there's a, there's a, there's a counterintuitive piece in there as well. So that often things are the opposite of what you think they are. That, which speaks to the rigidity as well. So that you have to try several different things mm. and, and you have to exhaust this or experiment with that until you get to something that surprises you. Yeah. If you're not willing to experiment. So I have this thing, uh, actually it's in, in my book about the, uh, what I call the ice cream test. So, and I hope this is original. <laughs> this, this one I really am. <laughs> Metronomic, I accept this not, but this really is, unless I, I read it somewhere else and I've unconsciously stolen it. Um, I call it the ice cream test. And it has to do with rigid thinking and the depression that can come from it, which men and older men, I think, are, are particularly prone to. Um, but uh, it goes like this. You take a person into an ice cream store, and let's say there's 100 ice creams, hypothetical. There's 100 ice creams lined up in, in front of you. And I say to you, um, Brian, how many of these do you think you're going to like? And you read all 100, and you go, okay, well, I think there are 15 here that I like, 10 here that I like. And then I force you to try all of them. I believe that almost without question, you will discover that there are another 20, 30 ice creams that you like, much to your surprise. And that's really what I think life is about, is, is discovering that if you keep on going back to the um, vanilla and, uh, and chocolate, yes, that's good. But you could be missing out on all the other parts of your life where uh, there's a lot of stuff that you discover about yourself that's fantastic. Mm. And 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 that's never more important than when you've gotten to a rut uh, in your life and you need to discover that there's something you're really good at or something that you really like because at that point in your life, you're not feeling like there's anything great in your life. Yeah, that's very true. Now, I haven't heard that before, whether ice cream or otherwise, so <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll at least be your official verification that's original. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> It does, it does bring to mind, though, when I talk to people about their fitness options and, you know, people who are trying to get to a better place physically, um, I always, almost always get the same thing as, oh, I hate running. I can't do that. And, and, and I'm always left with, okay, well, first of all, there's a million other things we can come up with and probably some more we can't that you could do that you may not hate. 
and that's an awfully strong word, but you know, you don't ha- no one says you have to run to be able to get into better shape. So there's there's one part of me that's you don't say this is only running. You do recognize there's other things you can do outside, you you know, walking or jogging or any number of other things. But it's also maybe you just don't know yet or maybe you've gone about it in a way that leads you to like it less. And you may find, I mean, I, I quote unquote hated running my whole life because I was obese and it hurt and I looked terrible and I was slow and I got ridiculed for it. And then after I was in a different place with myself and with my body, I gave it another shot and discovered actually I, I love it. You know, so maybe it's it's more situational or the way you've gone about it, but we swear things off and we assume there's nothing else for us. And I think you've hit on both of those really nicely. Mm. Yeah. We we've <laughs> we get stuck in stuck with ideas about who we are, stuck with ideas about the world. And and it can start to look smaller and smaller, you know, particularly now where we live in these echo chambers and silos and whatever other terms we've got for for this kind of thing. And I think that it speaks to the to the age that we're in, all this binary thinking, binary politics, you know, this idea that I mean it's it's absurd, right? What happened to the point where people at what point did people start to confuse? an opinion with a fact because people look across the political spectrum or they look at their neighbor and they point at them and they say, you're this or you're that. And they forget to say, no, I think that you're that, or I feel that you're that. But instead of it becoming a, an expression of somebody's opinion, it becomes uh, an expression of fact, which if I say that about you, then really what I'm saying is, is that I'm something else. And those things are both unfair because it's not really, I'm not really, just as I went to the ice cream thing, I, I don't want to be, it's not good for me to see myself as, as a one and you as a zero, um, or me as 100% Democrat, you was 100% Republican. This is simplistic, and simplistic thinking is how you end up in a rut. It's yeah. that sort of, it's a mark of, it's a mark of, 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 of how narrow and, in a sense, compromised your, your place in the world has become. You know, somebody who's, who's more easygoing, somebody who's more, somebody who I think is happier in the world uh, is less likely to think in such binary terms. Mm. I think there's also a desire to, to reduce everything down to a single answer because yeah. it's easier. You know, just eat kale and you'll be healthy or just do this thing or just, you know, whatever. This is the, the one, you know, all these articles out there, the sort of clickbaity that the one thing you need to do to change whatever aspect of your life, um, if only life was that simple. And, and actually, I don't really want it to be. It's far richer than that if we exactly. would just allow it. Yeah. Exactly, if we would just allow it. But guess what? The corporations are making a lot of money right. infantilizing us and persuading us that, yeah, this week's miracle uh, food will, will save us from death um, and we'll get to look younger and younger and younger. You know, the, I think the ancient Greeks had a better vision of it. They, they, they understood you as, as having... Um, having what they called daemons inside of you, which were these spirits which would come in and out of you. 
of every sort. And your job was to never let any of them get the better of you. Mm. So you had to find a way to balance order and disorder in yourself. The Apollonian and uh, Dionysian, whatever you want to call it, the yin and yang, the good and bad, the light, the darkness, whatever it is, you, it was your challenge, not, not uh, the outside world's challenge. Your challenge to find a way to uh, just nicely balance these two things out, right? Mm. So keep a tidy house, but don't make it so tidy that when anybody comes around, you know, they're terrified of sitting on your sofa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have live in a world where people can put things down, and you can and you can take a bit of disorder. And if you get too ordered, then you'll start to feel depressed and angry. If you get too chaotic, you'll start to feel depressed and angry. So notice when you're depressed and angry and ask yourself, have I got not enough order in my life or too much order in my life? Mm. So what about your life? What are you doing these days? Are you still are you still practicing running on a regular basis? Yeah, I just did a half marathon a couple of weeks ago, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, came quite easy to me, I was very surprised to say, because I hadn't really trained for it. Uh, I'm working on another book, which I'm excited about, uh, which is very much sort of on the subject of your, of your podcast, all about, um, all about sort of thriving and getting over uh, that feeling of being stuck, mm. how, to get, how to get unstuck. Uh, what else? Got a bit of holiday coming up. These are enough for me. I, yeah. you know, I'm engaged in the world. I'm physically well, and uh, and and I feel uh, engaged in my work and engaged in my passions. So I think that's a that's a great way to be. I'm and I'm grateful for for those two things. Yeah, that is um, that's something I think a lot of people unfortunately aren't able to say right now. And I chose those words carefully. I didn't say they can't say it. I just said they're not able to right now. And that's, you know, listening to you and, and the way that you've reshaped your own life and then are using that to help others, I think is proof positive that you can actually have a life that you can say these things about, that you can feel fulfilled by, that you can feel like you are working within your passion instead of just the drudgery of it. But to get there took a lot of hard work and it took a lot of courage, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had to. I had to, I, I, up until that point, I'd been involved in a lot of jobs and careers I didn't like. I'd worked in banking, I'd worked in real estate, I, and then more, more recently in television. And I just, I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like the people I was working with. It, it, on one level, I liked it. It spoke to me about success and money and, and, and popular culture, and I wanted to be a big player and but on the other hand, it just it felt superficial, mm. and so then I had to then I had this meltdown, uh, and I had to ask myself, well, what do I really want to do? I'm down on my knees here. What do I really want to do? What can I learn from here? And I had to think, well, you know, I have actually always loved psychology. I've always been interested in what makes people tick. But can I see myself as a therapist? And can I see myself as a therapist at this point in my life? You know, mm. I thought I was going to be Mark Burnett, you know, um, <laughs> and now I'm going to be a therapist. You know, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's a very different life. And it's going to ask me 
to to consider myself very differently and, and what success means. I had to 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 go into all sorts of things, and I'm really proud of the fact that I stuck with it and I and I went through a lot of personal doubt and a lot of challenges, and I and I'm I feel the better person for it. Uh, but by no means was it uh, an easy. I, you know what? I think if I hadn't been brought to my knees at 39, I don't think I would have done it. So I'm really grateful uh, in a way that I, I did end up in that place. Mm. Wow. Um, this is this has been fantastic, and it makes me wish I have I have another appointment right after this. And I was like, should I cancel it? Because I'm feeling very motivated to go outside for a run. Huh. Um, <laughs> But I can go after that for certain. Um, William, thank you so much. And I, I appreciate um, not just that you shared the approach with us, but your own pain behind it. And that, you know, that, that openness to me, that's, that's really where it all matters because that's where people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm in a similar place. I'm hurting, I'm depressed, or I'm in a relationship that's coming apart, or I'm on the other side of it and, and I don't know how to get out of it. And you've shared a way to help people do that, which is really valuable. So thank you. Uh, for that. Brian, if I've got a, if I've got a take home or leave home or whatever the expression is, it's this that, um, uh, and if any of your listeners want to hear this in greater depth, they can hear it on my, on my TEDx talk, which is called movement is medicine. It's this is that if you are stuck in the world, uh, and you've been stuck for some time, you've done enough sitting around, but you're not sure how to get out of the place you're in. Yeah. Just take a single step and follow it with another step. It doesn't matter so much where you're going. Just make sure you keep moving. Whether that means running in the park, whether it means starting a new job, a hobby, some volunteer work, just get out of being stuck and get into one step at a time into becoming a person that's doing things. And if you do enough things, you will finally do yourself out of this stuck place you're in. I love that. That's brilliant. William, where can people find you and find the book and, and everything that you're working on? So um, the book is called Running With Mindfulness. They can find all good bookstores and on um, Amazon, of course. Uh, I've got a website, uh, williampullenpsychotherapist.com or dynamicrunningtherapy.com. On Twitter, I'm at Pullen Therapy, uh, Instagram, D underscore running therapy. Uh, yeah, if anybody wants to drop me a note, uh, they can find uh, my email address on my website. Excellent. And I will, of course, link to everything for people to make that easier uh, in the show notes so they can get all that there. William, thank you so much for the time today. Oh, Brian, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it, actually. All right. Today is a new day. Go out and do it. Excellent. Thank you so much, William. Thank you, Brian. Bye-bye. All right. So how many of you are going to go put on your sneakers and go for a run? Or at least are thinking about what's going on in your head? That stuff that you wish you could work through, that you're struggling to work through, or maybe that you don't want to work through because you think it's going to be hard or it's going to be work. I have a feeling most of my listeners don't look at thought and introspection that way, but maybe... Maybe there's something pretty tough that you're kind of stuck with. Well, here's your chance, right? Check out William's work. Think about employing dynamic running therapy to help yourself work through those key issues. So go check him out online. 
get his book. Uh, you know, it's on Amazon. It's it's on his website. It's all over the place. Really, really valuable because we all have something that we're struggling with, something that we're struggling to think through, to work through, and that rhythmic, uh, regular beating of our feet can sort of force our mind to get through the thoughts that we need to get through. And just to remind you, you got to go sign up for updates. You can't miss the 5075-100 solution when it comes out. I want it to be as big a launch as possible. I would love it to do better than do a day. I was so excited with how well that book did. Wouldn't it be cool for the second one to do even better? So I need your help. So definitely go to brianfelchuk.com. Sign up for the updates. You'll see a pop-up that comes right up asking you to sign up. It's pretty easy. I don't spam people. I don't send out much. It's really just these key updates a couple times a year. So sign up. Check out William's work. And remember, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Do that run, right? Take care, everyone.